I don't think that oftentimes it is about honestly how big we are or how small we are. I think it has to do with becoming, and I've said this on multiple other podcasts before, but becoming a student. It's really important that you study your quarry and you you have to know what you can get away with and know what you can't get away with. And the things you can't get away with, you have to understand that you can't get away with them. Like, you know, it's not important to necessarily stay quiet. I mean, quiet is not the key to being successful as a hunter. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. Uh, today, me and Evan Williams have Marlon Holden on with us. What's going on, Marlon? Morning, fellas. How are you? We're, we're good, man. We're You're good. Really good. Yeah. We were uh, you having me. No, well, no sweat. Yeah, this is one I've been looking forward to, and we've been working quite a bit trying to get it done with with schedules, but yeah, it's time. If there was somebody deserving this year to have a podcast or two, it's Marlon. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Uh, You're going to, sometimes I wish we had the video element in this podcast, because uh, we're here before we hit record on this podcast. We've been sitting here BSing a little bit, quite frankly, maybe maybe uh uh squandered a little bit of our conversation because marlon marlon whipped out a couple of racks that he took this year and we're showing them to me and evan and me and evan's jaws are just on the floor so the the entire well part of the reason that we're having marlon on today marlon is a gifted photographer um if you look him up on instagram uh, it's at Marlon Holden, and then he's got another Instagram page at Graylight Hunter. Um, man, he's a very talented content creator. However, that's not why we have him on today. The reason we have him on today is because he had a year last year on Mule Deer like I've never seen before. Yeah, five five pretty fun hunts last year um, in multiple states. How many, roughly how many inches are we talking about in five bucks? Uh, uh, he didn't I mean, get the calculator out of it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're not, we're not, we're definitely not batting a thousand on that one. Okay. But we're, we're, not, we're, 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 we're 800 plus. Uh, yeah. 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 Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, yeah. Upper, upper eights. I mean, nine. Several well, bucks. 30 inch frames. I mean, just, you know, and there's one that's a black tail hybrid that has a ton of black tail in him um, that pops that average down. And he's like mid 160s and he's just heavy and gnarly and regressed. And just, you know, he's like, he's like that like gnarled piece of wood that you see <clears throat> across the canyon in the glass. And you're like, oh, that's a buck. That's got to be a buck. And you look at it, you're like, it ain't moving. No, no that ain't a buck. Well, this, this one just happened to be walking around with a set of antlers on him that looked like that. And, uh, and I got him, but he, he kind of knocks the average down a little bit, but you know, I mean, if we're talking score, yeah, he would definitely help with that. But, um, it, it was one heck of a year. Uh, so really fortunate. Yeah. So aside from him, again, being in that one sixties, all the other four bucks are over one seventy, and oh yeah, you, two in the one nineties. One is, uh, the other one's darn close. I mean, you know, if you're talking about Instagram, you could definitely call them. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on how far away from the camera you're sitting. Um, you know, he looks like it and he's got the makings of it. He just doesn't quite scratch it. He's, he's, he's in there though. He's, they're they're both studs. There's a, I can't really, I look at them like frame mass age class. Like Mm -hmm. when somebody, I mean, I had a buddy this year kill a, a, you know, a 226 and I was actually hunting that buck. Um, and you're still buddies trash everywhere. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I mean, dude, I'm playing like you, you, I found the buck that I, I did shoot and I just couldn't pass him up. I mean, we're talking 31 inch mainframe with coat can mass and like five inch eye guards six inch eye guards and the mass carries all the way to the tips with just great forks except that one back left is just a little bit weak if if he, yeah. he didn't you know but you're looking at like a 200 inch frame right on an over-the-counter deer and you're just like there ain't no way i mean you're 
You're saying, I'm going to walk away from that because right. of a 23 inch frame deer with a bunch of trash on it that scores more. Right. Uh-uh. Right. Not this no. guy. Like, I'm. I just I, mean, I, was, I was done. I was absolutely done. I'm you know, like, all of us. It, it's it's easy to feel bad in a way about even discussing inches. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, what other measurement is there? It's the easiest, most universal measurement to throw out there. Well, um, we're guys, we're used to it, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, at the same time. But I totally get what Marlon's saying, man. I faced with taking that twenty-three inch wide with a bunch of trash on him versus a 30 inch wide mm. coke, coke can mass, you know, just stereotypical bumper sticker mule deer, you know, I'm, I'm going to shoot that big heavy sucker, you know, and no, the number isn't going to come out as good, but to me, that's, that's the, that's the bigger trophy. He was, well, older, that, he was older, older animal too, like his body and just as, you know, his, his character. Yeah. He was just an old, just a greasy desert buck, just an old greasy sucker. And, and I, and I kind of, yeah, I, I get, I get what you're saying, Danny, about like having that universal yeah. measurement. Like everybody can kind of get an idea where as, as you know, most, you know, predominantly hunters are going to listen to this and they're going to say, okay, I have an idea of what a 180 frame looks like, whether it's 26 inches or 29 inches. I kind of have an idea of what that 180 buck looks like compared to like a 160 or what a 210. Yeah. Like. We have, we have that. So it's a, it's a great way to kind of like get it out there and get a comparison going. So that way we have a way of just kind of comprehending what we're talking about. Um, right. But as I get older and the hunt goes on, man, I mean, that to me just, it means less and less and less. And it's all about, wow, does he make me excited or does he not? Nowadays, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. mass and time length over width all day long. Don't care about width necessarily, but like just if he's heavy. And I yeah. know he's lived like a super, super long life and he's just gnarly. You know, the more bumps and funky stuff he's got going on when I wrap my hands around him, the more excited I get. Just like right. a slick, narrow, clean little four-year-old deer. It's like a 170 buck. You're just kind of like, yeah, it's pretty cookie cutter. But when they start getting this, you know, character. Well, dude, that, that buck that you're talking about and, you know, I guess on Muley's, I am kind of a whip junkie. You know what I, I, I like, I like big boxy frames and that sucker, the way he lays out, it's hard not to get excited about that deer. You you guys just got to go to Instagram and look through Marlon's bucks. You'll know exactly which one we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, There won't be any question about it. Yeah. Yeah. A couple years before that, you know, I took one that was like over 32 inches wide with double hook cheaters. And he's got that same kind of mass. He doesn't have deep forks or anything, but he's got these just incredible frame, incredible mass, like insane eye guards. And then these just two giant matching hook cheaters on each side. Like, dude, he's the, the buck, buck we're talking about. I will right. hunt a buck like that all day long over the score monster. All day long. Yeah. There's just, yeah. no, like, just no, no doubt about it that the character wins me over. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll... Which one of these bucks? Tell us about the first one. The first, there's five different ones, and it kind of spans two years because one of them was January hunt, correct? Well, so so being that one of them was January of last year, right? right. And then I took one January of this year. We're still right. talking about last year, yeah, and, so- and and believe it or not, both January bucks. One was a six by four with eye guards. The other one was a slip four by four with eye guards. Right. But they both scored pretty close to the same. They're in that 180s range. And mm-hmm. they're one's like uh, 28 wider right there, and the other one's like right at 30 wide. So so they're, they're, there's not, you know, too much difference between the two, actually. They look pretty cookie cutter, aside from the little cheaters on them. And, and the one is a little bit more basket rack. But um, <clears throat> just an amazing hunt. Like the one last year that I had arrowed, you know, I... I had been chasing that deer for a solid week, maybe not seven days technically, but you know, uh, when you're in the field for four or five days chasing a deer, I, I call it a week. Uh, I had been hunting him really hard and he kept, he had the sixth sense about him. He would just vanish in the ironwoods and the Palo Verdes and the Ocotillo tangle. And you get on the ground with him and you just can't, you know, can't see what happened. And, and, um unfortunately i didn't have anybody up in the sky with 
uh, giving me any directions, letting me know where he was. So it was kind of just instinct, intuition, trying to figure out where he went. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a state that still lets you use radios, of course, on the hunt. And, <clears throat> and, I'll, and I'll do that sometimes um, if, uh, if the circumstances allow for it. But um, in this particular scenario, you know, I was on my own and he was the best buck I'd seen in uh, over a week of scouting and, and looking. And so I stuck with him. Um, and on the last, uh, not on the last day I had to hunt, but on the day that I got him, um, I found him literally like three miles away through the big eyes, 180 degrees opposite direction of where he was, you know, the prior afternoon, yeah. so he covered some ground rutting and, mm. uh, I was just able to pick him up because he had this, this huge front forks, like giant frame on these front forks. And, and I, and I, I could notice immediately, I'm like, that's him. And, um got off the hill I was on and then, you know, I raced over there and then I got up on top of a knob that he was right below and I saw him walking off, um, into the flats. But since I didn't have anybody with him, it was like a total guessing game. So I watched him bed down in this wash and for almost three hours, um, it was like a, just a, a hunt as if, you know, just, I'm going to act as if he didn't move. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's early afternoon. Um, you know, the winds settled in really nice, but it's the rut. It's like, yeah. that's the wild card. It's like, you don't know what they're going to do. They could get up and decide they want to go, you know, nudge this doe out of her bed and follow her for another hundred yards and bed back down or who knows. Right. He, he had just yeah. moved three miles the day before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just don't know. Right. And yeah. so, so I, I, I kind of just hunted in on him and lo and behold, like, you know, I pick him up at like 70 yards, bedded underneath the Ocotillo. And uh, he had a little clump of cactus around him and, and um, the wind was good though. And, and so I moved about 20 yards to my right and I had him with his head facing dead away. And I made sure there was no does around him, at least that could see me. And so I spent a lot of time just looking around just to make sure that I wasn't going to be spotted as I moved into range on this buck. I got to 51 yards and I had a perfect shooting lane between um, a couple of... Uh, blades of cactus and his vitals were i shot him right in his bed and um he, he you know didn't go very far if i'm at 50 um that's backstraps yeah. you know that's just back mm -hmm. i think for all of us here on this on this podcast right now i think if we're at 50 that's backstraps i mean he's coming home and and so i knew it was a good hit immediately he he like stumbled and and that he fell within sight and um that was that was the first buck he was a beautiful deer he's like like i said he's probably like in the 27 28 wide and, and gonna go on the mid 180s but um very beautiful deer and then and then of course it's january so you got that long wait until season starts back up and um hit the high country had an amazing hunt up there i love the essence of the high country you know that you see these kind of like debates hey do you like hardhorn or velvet you, yeah you, you see it all the time and i love I, I used to think that i i lived for the rut and the chocolate antlers and and you know the hardhorn animals yeah. but it wasn't really until you get to spend a bunch of time in the high country that you that you grow this just finite appreciation for velvet big velvet mm -hmm. rack. you know there, there's just something about it's like the signifying of the beginning of season. It's like yeah. this changing of the of the the changing of the seasons. It's almost like it, it's like a, a that beginning is happening for us right. in the fall yeah. as hunters. And so um, you get up there in the high country, and it's just verdant greens, and the pikas are chirping out in the basins, and and there's just re renewal everywhere, wildflowers everywhere, and then you know you got these bachelor herds. Um, feeding across these beautiful, incredible high country tundra. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that's just a sight to behold. But, you know, the, the, the funny part about that hunt um, is that for the first time in like 15 years, I actually had a 230-some inch buck found. Like he was, mm. he was an absolute slob of a deer. And extra points his main frame wasn't very big his main frame was probably only 27 28 um but 
his G2s, his frame, you know, I mean, his G2s were every bit of 20 inches. It came straight up off his rack and kind of curved in at the top. So he was very, he wasn't very boxy. He was boxy baskety. I don't know if that makes sense. It goes straight up and then the tips turned inward. And then he just had freaking trash coming out all over the place, like tripods and stuff at the top. And like two on each side, he had one big inline. And, and right. like, I watched that deer, I, I watched him a dozen times. And, you know, for me, that's a, that is a freaking drive. Um, yeah. But uh, the day before season, we had a massive snowstorm come in. It dropped a foot and a half on top. It was covered in white. You know, you're dang near up to your knees in, in spots and in snow. And um, opening morning, I show up hoping, you know, maybe they just pushed them down. And then there was like, you know, 6,000 head of sheep in that basin with a foot of snow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it kind that of sounds familiar to me and you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, um, you know, not, not to press on it for too long, but as hunters, we get to kind of see the impacts that mm-hmm. most people don't get to see. They don't see the impacts of, of um grazing and overgrazing they don't get to see the impacts of you know what car- carrying capacity looks like and and you know what um what's healthy and what's unhealthy and you see these signs about oh let's protect the tundra and mm-hmm. don't go off road <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you see like six thousand head of sheep mowing over the most beautiful pristine tundra ever with this new you know late summer growth and Domestic sheep. Domestic sheep. Yeah. It's totally nutty. It like defies logic to me. I don't quite understand it. But yeah, we had a a situation there that, you know, I I hunted really hard for that buck for multiple days. Um Mm -hmm. and it just he just he's like, I'm out. See ya. The snow melted, you know, the basin had just kind of been ramsacked for the lot, you know, four or five days with you, you can hear it like three miles away. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah. oh, no, no. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we're, last case uh, scenario I had was to just, you know, pull out. And um, I ended up just, you know, tagging a nice buck, a nice respectable buck. I had a great, a great time, but I put a lot of energy into that hunt. Um, and, and that would have had that average up over a thousand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um <clears throat> but i had a, a really a really fun hunt up there killed a beautiful uh four by four in velvet um and and it was really cool on that one because where he was bedded he was bedded in some like the top of a mountain but it was kind of flat with a bunch of, of craggy cliffs and rock edges and stuff i was able to get to like nine feet from that deer oh, i wow. didn't have a sh- i didn't have a shot on him like there's just it was straight down and all I could see was his head and antlers. And yeah. I was like looking right down at him. There's nothing I can do. I mean, I would have fallen on top of his back, right? If I tried to take another step. And luckily yeah. the sun was kind of like quartering in from my three o'clock. So mm-hmm. the shadow was being cast up onto the, the bench that I was standing on, not down. So right. he was just ears back. You know, you could see his rack bobbing as he was chewing his cud in his bed. You could smell him. You could, you know, every now and then he'd let out a big, uh, like a, a deep breath. You, you, that, that to me mm-hmm. is um, what really stood out as making that hunt really special is just being able to get so close and be in their presence and observe and them not know. That yeah. to me is so cool. It's like, you know, how many people are going to sit there and say, oh, I'm going to go into your living room while you're sitting there on your couch having a bowl of ice cream watching TV and I'm going to sit next to you and you're not going to know about it. Like, that would creep you out, right? But yeah, this buck standing there or sitting, laying there, you know, chewing his cud. And, and I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. So I already had an arrow knocked and I, I just just bumped like a little pebble onto him. Like, oh, oh really? Heck, like, you know, just just a little one. It was like, the size of a, a dime and just a tiny little rock, but it was enough to get him to kind of, you know, flinch, flinch and, and he kind of like looked around a little bit, you know, kind of like they do. And, and so he decided to stand up and he stretched and he walked out 
he walked oh. out. He was probably like 14 feet or something. I was already at full draw. I mean, I freaking crack. Like, just let him have it right there. Uh, that was... Um, well, that's an awesome way for that to work out because getting that close, as you know, I'm sure, is a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It has... It, it has burned a lot of guys before where you feel great that you got that close and you feel like you accomplished something, but then getting that shot off when they're that, when, when they discover you one way or another um, can be tough. And I, yeah, I've had them right there where I'm like, Oh, you are so dead. You are so dead. And then all of a sudden something happens. And when you, when they discover you in their comfort zone like that, it's an explosion. You know what I mean? That's why there's so many guys that are like, no, I stop at this many yards. But in in a situation like you're talking about in that high country and that crazy stuff, you don't necessarily have that option. You sometimes you have to get to that edge where you you're going to be able to see them. Otherwise, they'll have an an escape route just by walking around the crate. Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, you're right. And 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 they also have that sixth sense. They have that ability to just. Yeah. Know that the the ground was vibrating close to them or something that, that there was a feeling that they got that emanated from the earth that made them kind of look, I know they can feel the ground. I know they yeah. can. I've yeah. seen too many times when you're just not careful enough and a rock will shift and they'll, but they didn't hear anything. It was just like a, like a, like a, like a vibration, literally almost like if you're at the gym and the weights hit the ground and you can feel the whole gym move. But like, imagine that without any sound, like if the, the displacement of the weight or something changed, like some type of vibra- vibration or something, they, they can sense it, man. I'm telling you, they can sense it. And, and you know, it, it, think about this. If, uh, if one of the three of us or, or all three of us could sit here and say that we had been sitting there at some point and a freaking lion came out of nowhere and grabbed one of our buddies and killed him right in front of us. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. your senses would get really heightened yeah, because they're, they're, really fast. when they're attacked by lions, they're attacked at close range. They don't know the cats there. And I mean, that's why a lot of those, especially up in the, the in the high country and, and stuff like that, when they, any little thing that they hear that is that, that is a little bit out of place or hear or smell or anything else. It's just, they're on high alert because they get snuck up on, you know, yeah, yeah, that's by, true. by the real experts at spot and stock. You know? it's, cra- it's crazy because that's why I, I absolutely love them so much. Yeah. That's why I love them so much because they are so wiry. They're so cagey. They, sure. they don't make those mistakes. They're, yeah. they're not, they don't leave themselves open to those mistakes. Those, those once, you know, those, those very fatal errors They they're the older ones, the smart ones that have made it through a few seasons, they are jumpier than snot. And, and, yeah. and, and that's why, you know, you, like you were saying earlier, I don't like getting that close. Like I, I generally, if I can, if I can get into 20, I, I don't like, yeah. if I, I, I'm like, if I'm at 40 or 50 really is where I like to be. Yeah, but forty, you know, I mean, I'll I'll do forty, but I'll, honestly, I like to be at fifty. I I want to be at fifty, and mm-hmm. some situations dictate that you know that that you're you're closer than that. And and a lot of bow hunters would sit there and say, well, that's you know the essence of bow hunting, and 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 I would uh, agree in part. I would say that you know the essence of bow hunting is is really you know your personal experience with that animal and your confidence level in that situation for everybody that's different. And so it's a moving target for me. um, I want to know that I've seen animals in the field after, you know, arrowing dozens and dozens and dozens of these things that have moved more being shot inside a 20 than an animal standing at 50. Yep. That's yeah. been my experience with spot and stock muleys. Now I know it may be very different with coos deer, it may be very different with whitetail and elk and so on. And and me, I'm a straight up self-professed mule deer fanatic. So I, I don't, you know, I don't I can't speak intelligibly uh to the other species because you'll never see me post a photo of anything else but a mule deer. Right. Um so I, if it comes to mule deer, you know, and you want to talk about those specifics, I mean I can you know, feel like I can 
intelligibly speak all day long with confidence about what they're going to behave like at certain yardages. And you start getting in close. Oh, yeah. <laughs> things and are happening. There's just too many mistakes happen. And, yeah. and guys might argue with that, but I'm not here to try and cause a debate. It's just for me and my hunting style, uh, more deer end up getting backpack rides when I keep that small buffer zone. And, and I'm able to kind of control those movements, those sounds and the variable, because there, there seems to be that, that soft spot too, that no matter how quiet your bow is, that for whatever reason at 50, the sound by which the way that their body reacts to the release of the arrow, they know it's not right on top of them. Well, well, they also, the sound, the, the, the distance that it travels from 20 to, to, to the animal to, to 50, yeah. the, the, the distance yeah. and how fast that sound travels to the point of impact on that, that animal, mm-hmm. they don't have enough time for whatever reason. And I, and I can't explain it, but if you go out like at 80 and 90, they have enough time to, to duck. Right. At, at 50, their body can't drop fast enough. What I'm saying is you, you don't, you can still place a perfect shot. Like if you're, dead on at 50 if you know that you can hit a tennis ball at 50 yards with broadheads every time even right. if that deer ducks at 50 you're still going to get a lethal shot on it is what i'm trying to say like they, right. they, they don't really yeah. have they don't really have an advantage at that yardage they're totally like up to your mercy like if, you, if you're in that wheelhouse and you're confident and you're at full draw they're done well assuming the deer isn't looking at you and alert even if, if he's alert. Alert. Even, yeah, I, I would he agree with Marlon on on that. That there, there's that there's that comfort zone, and there's a there's a delayed reaction at a certain distance. And I, if, you, I agree if you listen, with that. if you listen to Olmer's podcast, it he does the same thing, and and it's almost like a curiosity where they're they're trying to decide what you are, and they're willing to stand there for an extra second or two, and what. Mm-hmm. You know, Marlon, you and I, we've known each other quite a, quite a while, um, yeah. you know, going back to 2009. And we had a discussion right after our 2016 hunt. And I actually went back after that discussion on distance and approach. And I went back and looked at all the mule deer that I had harvested in all the states that I'd hunted. And when I looked at the distance I had harvested those animals at and found the average of all those it was 55 yards on the nose and that kind of has become the benchmark for me where if i get to 55 i'm done it's a done deal yeah for for me it's 53 it's that's interesting that's interesting my average is 53 and 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 it's there seems to be this not only this confidence on my side of things because i practice much further than that like i'm sure we all do i i try to practice to 120 but i'm there's a spot out here right next to my house that's literally, you know, five minutes away that I can set my target up and be shooting 100 yards um, within minutes. And I can get, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of practice in every single day. Yeah. And um, and so I feel dialed really good to 100 by the time I leave on a hunt. But 50 is kind of, it makes 50 just feel like so easy that it's just an effortless motion that it's not even a, a conscious thought. It doesn't matter if it's an angle or not an angle. It doesn't matter where it's at. 50 just feels really good. Um, But I've also noticed that that's just, you know, to, you know, to both your points, how the animals, once you're, if you stand up at 200 yards and you look at an animal, it's going to be like, what the hell? And it's going to jam. It's going to, it's not going to pause really that much, but you're still in that buffer zone to where it feels safe. Now, if you get into a hundred yards and stand up, he's gone. He's just, there's no pause. He's just gone. Right. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when you sneak in and you're at 50 and they get up, something changes. They're, they're like, okay, uh, how, what are you? How'd you, how'd you get, how did right. I not notice you? They, it's, they, it's, a, it's a weird curiosity. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a weird curiosity and it gets them dead because they, and, and, you know, I would say, 70% of the time, they have no idea, you know, we're even there when an arrow gets sent their way. But the ones that do, I feel like 
if you're inside 100 yards and you're in that 40 to not really 40 is kind of like too close it's like mm-hmm. they start going that's just too close 30 yards you're you're 20 you're skirting disaster and and yeah. i know that the guys that are shooting recurves um which I just ordered one from you guys. I mean, yeah, I, this is the first year I've, I've, I got a recurve coming my way. And, and I'm also, I'm not giving up my, my carbon boat, by the way. Don't be getting any ideas. <laughs> but I'm going to start practicing because I want to start flirting with what that looks like. I want to start flirting with, um, you know, that inside of 30 looks like. But yeah. I've, I've done it a bunch uh, on my hunts and I just, Oh man, that's an uncomfortable thing, and and I'm a big fan and proponent of trying to become comfortable with what you're uncomfortable with. Yeah. So I'm gonna start learning how to become comfortable with that. You're gonna but start my, using the F word on your hunts a whole lot more often. I, I do that plenty already. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, that's all. Yeah. That that recurve thing or the traditional bow—that's a whole nother journey into and of itself. It, it's there's a lot of satisfaction that comes with it, but there's a lot of pain that comes with it too. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. Danny, um, I think what it is like we talk about inches, we talk about how many, we talk about a lot of the things that candidly we love. I mean, we're you know I'm oh yeah like the next guy. I like big antlers. I like freaking giant racks and mass and as many inches as we can possibly, you know, imagine on a deer without it looking ridiculous. But um, at the end of the day, it's becoming to me as I get older, more about that journey, right? I'm yeah. now the buck that, you know, is getting the sway back and the freaking deep br- brisket and the great face, you know, and I'm the one getting the pot belly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so that wisdom inside me is speaking towards a different truth and that, that truth is kind of symbolizing something that's reminiscent of of what the hunt means to me instead of the harvest and and the harvest is never gonna not be exciting but but the memories and how i make those memories and how they come to be are are really coming front and center and so the recurve to me represents a um a redefining moment in my hunting journey and you know, the compound for me, and, and there's a lot of people that are going to completely understand. I know you two are, you know, assassins, so you're going to get it, right? We're all going to sit here in the same kind of arena and feeling on this and say, I get that. When, when I put a compound on my bow, when I, get, when I put a point in my hand and I go on a hunt, a deer's going to die. Yeah. You feel, you, you feel like... Unless you decide not to take one for some reason, then you're going to accomplish what you're trying to do. Right. And I, and I think there's a lot of people out there that, that, you know, might even get offended by that. Well, I don't think it's so easy, you know, but it's not that it's easy. It's just there's a, there's a switch that, that there's a switch that happened in your head. And all of a sudden, what seemed this, because I know how hard it is to, you know, fail on stocks, to have the wind screw you up, to mess, you know, mess up a shot. To Like, I've been there. I mean, you know, none of us can get to where we are without feeling that. But it's how we stand back up and go forward and, you know, don't go home early. Don't get dejected. Don't let yourself get mind messed. Like, you know, really stay focused. Yeah. Stay hungry for the goal. Stay on target. Like know what you want and be resilient until you achieve it. And then the more times you achieve after failure, it becomes to be such a regular pattern that there's no such thing as failure. So now for me, there's no such thing as failure. When I see a buck and I want that deer, then I'd say there's a 95 percentile that that deer is going to come home. So it's just a, it's, so now I'm like in this phase where, you know, as my little boy, he's nine now, he turns 12. Um, there's no way I'm taking a back seat, but he's going to have the best teacher, you know, around and, and he'll have his compound and I'm going to like really be in on trying to, you know, let him get like big bucks and, and let him, you know, have that journey. And for me, I think it's going to turn into one of, um, you know, how technically sound can i truly become and 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 when i mean technically sound i think how in tune with the land can i truly become like 
Right. When we're really in our zone and we're putting things together, there's so much technicality behind it, but realistically, we're just growing more in tune with the land. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. I watched that video of, you know, of Evan uh, and, his, and that one buck that jumped the fence and he arrowed it right when it came over the fence, he came to full draw and the buck looked his way. It's just like, oh my gosh, that's like such a sweet symphony, right? It's like you can see the orchestration of everything come out so perfectly. The timing, that's like a, that is like the playbook. That That's in the playbook for what, when to draw, what to do and how to execute. And, and, but we play that out, you know, I mean, I, last year I did that five times. You just, the, 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 that you may not necessarily say I had a videographer with me. So we're going to, you know, be releasing a a bunch of killer stuff um, relating to that. So you'll see a little bit more of that come out this season, but um that perfect playbook happens in your mind so often i want to know what it's like to be uncomfortable and learn that with mature mule deer with a recurve and i'm not saying it's going to happen soon but i'm going to work towards that you know so as i get older it's going to be less about you know how many i shot and i might only get one or two but you know it's going to be crazy hard like yeah and, yeah. and I'm and I'm interested in that. I mean, think about a couple hundred years ago when people, you know, made their own bows, and that's like what they did. Like that's a freaking rad pursuit. You know, I was watching South Cox um, the other day, at watching a couple of his videos that he self filmed a bunch of different hunts. He did a seminar, and you know, he's he's running around with stick bows, and I can't help but feel like that minimalist mentality is something that um, contributes to that feeling closer to your surroundings, feeling closer to the land. And for me, it's, I I enjoy shooting a stick bow um, more than I do a compound as far as practicing. I, I have a blast doing it, you know? Um, but no, we sure like that. I, certain certain yeah, <laughs> I am challenged enough. And, you know, I, it's funny. You're, I'm sitting here listening to you talking about um, that feeling that you get like, you know, like something's going to die, you know. Um, and and I, I've, I have that feeling a lot of times. But bow hunting is the great humbler to me. Because just when I think that I'm and it just happened to me last year, uh, it, it was on a whitetail, but I'm not going to rehash the story. But just when I think, oh, I've got this one. He's in the back of the truck. He is, he, he's skinned and in the freezer. And this is a done deal. Something will happen. You know what I mean? And at least malfunctions. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it could be one of a bunch of different things. Um, actually, the release, did, the, release, the release did not malfunction. I I touched it on accident while I was trying to readjust my my uh, my anchor. But um, Danny won't rehash it. But I'm going to do it oh, for him. So, <laughs> regardless, bow hunting will will humble you at some point. And I, here in the last couple of years, I've had my humbling moments and I don't know, I might be ready for the extra challenge one day, but right now I, I feel challenged enough. You know, it's just, that's just the way it is. Um, and I, I, I love shooting stuff with a stick bow. Absolutely love it. But I just, I guess I don't feel like I am able to do enough shooting on a consistent enough basis because to me, being really proficient with a stick bow is like being a good pitcher or being a good free free throw shooter, um, you know, or, or maybe not free throws, just a good shot with a basketball. Yeah. It's a feel thing. And if you aren't doing it consistently all the time, you know, it's kind of it, like watching a good baseball player. He's not aiming at where he wants to throw the ball. He just looks there and the ball goes there. You know what I mean? If, if you haven't thrown for six months, the ball doesn't just go there. Or even if, you know, if you're just not throwing enough, 
So anyway, I'm getting off on a rant, but that got you all fired up. <laughs> oh man, my, <laughs> Danny will I not be picking up a Satori anytime soon. No, no, you know I like <laughs> I like I like playing around with it, but I'm just not ready to commit. Call me a wuss. Yeah, call me a wuss. We're 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 in the in similar places, but I'm I am. In five years, mark my words, I will definitely be going on a hunt with a story in my hand. Right. Yeah. And I, and awesome. it may be so, it may be sooner. You know, maybe sooner. It's gonna. I'm gonna select the hunt. It's got to be the right hunt for it. I'm not gonna go to a super open country hunt that's long yardages. You know, I I may go on a high country hunt with yeah. it because I can get close in the high country. I'm not taking it to the desert. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, so I think there's some places that you you know you you are conducive to doing it, and some places that aren't. And and I'm not. I, I refuse to sit water. Right. So I'm not going to do that. That's just no. That's about takes the fun category down to like a zero for me. Yeah. Like sit here in a blind and and wait for something to come in on water is just no. And and, and, not, and I'm not fighting it. Anybody who wants to do that, cool. Like I'm down with anybody who wants to do it, however they want to do it. But I just, I like that fun factor. I like that, that spot him, close the distance, you know, get in tight. Don't be a jack a and freaking roll rocks or you know mess things yeah. up. Like really, you know, put your faculties together and sneak and get in tight and like execute a clean shot like that. That really um, is kind of the essence of of all of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of that too is being or feeling like you have a little bit more control in the situation. Like I can control my step and where it gets put and I can control which direction I go based on what the wind is doing and how he's bedded. And I'm putting more things in my favor that otherwise wouldn't be. Totally. Yeah, for sure. You know what? I've got a question for you, Marlon. Uh, some of the best stalkers that I've ever known, have all been small guys, and I didn't know that. Bad, I didn't. I didn't know this <laughs> about you until just a little while ago. But yeah, yeah, that did sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> However, you're not a small statured dude. You're. You just told me a little while ago. You're six foot three and two sixty. You're built like a defensive lineman. And mm-hmm. how often is that a challenge for you? Um, yeah uh it can be it has to be at times i'm me so i don't know you know i'm um i make it work right you you were i mean you know in in so many manners of speaking like there's 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 on one side of of, and i always say this in business like I'm, i'm running my art gallery and dealing with my employees and and you know and and helping them you know uh execute good months and sales and whatnot, or we're always strategizing and come up with things. I said, look, there's, there's two things. You can take a, a piece of paper and draw a line down the center of the paper. And on one side, I'm going to have you write things I control. Right. right. And then the other side, I'm going to say things I cannot control. Death and taxes. Don't control either one of those. Right. How much I practice with my bow, I control. Right. right. So, so that's how basic I bring things down to people and, and try and really say uh, as a leader or as a hunter or as a father or as a, you know, as a, as a, a partner or a best friend, right? It's kind of like we have these things that we can control and can't control. I can't tr- control how big I am, right. but I, I can control how I use the relief and the terrain and uh, my ability to stay quiet and concealed to my advantage. So, I mean, you know, I'm big, but I, go to the gym like a freaking nut job you know yeah. so that way i'm stronger than the yeah. strongest i could possibly be now i yeah. i know guys yeah, out you're there. not an out of shape 260 by any means i'm just i'm just saying that's man compared to a guy that's five foot seven and weighs 140 pounds it is harder for you to be quiet oh yeah it, like, it, it yeah, is I'm, physically harder for you to be quiet and stay hidden I've got um, a whole other human on me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, dude. You're you're carrying your hundred pound pack on your back, you know. Yeah, yeah it, it it has. That's an interesting question. I'm not really sure. I I don't think that. Oftentimes, it is about 
honestly how big we are or how small we are. I think it has to do with becoming, and I've said this on multiple other podcasts before, but becoming a student and, and you guys, you guys, I mean, gosh, I'm around like a couple of, you know, I'm, we're in bow hunting royalty company right now, people who understand and get bow hunting for, for the people that, you know, that don't, it, it's really important that you study your quarry and, and, and you, you have to know what you can get away with and know what you can't get away with. And the things you can't get away with, you have to understand that you can't get away with them. Like, you know, it's not important to necessarily stay quiet. I mean, quiet is not the key to being successful as a hunter. There's times right. I'm crashing through brush and come out into an opening with an arrow knock and freaking get a shot off and, and sure. you know, get what I'm after. But it, it has to do with it leveraging curiosity with flight and fright. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you can keep a butt curious and not flight or, you know, fight or flight, then you're, you're good. So long as he's curious, then you're fine. Like if, if you are, are in his wheelhouse and you crack a branch, don't sweat it. He's yeah. not going to do anything unless you stand up and wave your hands in the air. Right. He's, right. he's, if you, if you're sliding in and, and there's a little bit of movement that he sees, so long as you don't look at him directly, you keep your eyes to the ground and you stay there for five minutes until he feels comfortable again. Yeah. Then he's still in that curious mode. He's no, he's not flight and fright and uh, a fight or flight. So you just, I, I think that part of the reason why I've been, you know, like kind of like a bigger statured human being and, and being able to get close is just playing more to what their senses rely upon to, initiate those defense mechanisms within them right. to say i'm alarmed or i'm curious mm. and so long as you keep them with sound and visual cues in that curious mode you're you're really not going to have um too many issues i mean i've stalked in on animals standing straight up yeah as a matter yeah. of fact as a matter of fact the older i get the less I crab crawl, the less I'm on my hands and knees. I tend to walk in on deer, crouched or standing up. Like when a, when there's a, a, a hill of relief, yeah, and there's a deer kind of like over that relief. I'm I'm not crouched anymore. I'm standing straight up. Can't right. see me. Why am I going to crouch? Why well, am I going to get so close to where I have to peek, and then and then be you know straining? I will stand up all the way in until I have to start crouching. So that's that way right. I'm looking at antlers, antlers, and then I'm crouching as I get closer, pinching the distance, not, not starting crouch to get so close that I have no idea what he's doing. My goal is to keep my eyes on him as long as possible. I'm standing. The, the, that's, that's, a mis that's a mistake that a lot of guys that don't have a whole lot of experience spotting and stalking often make is that, and I've had it happen when I'm guiding guys, rather than standing upright and going slowly until they get the first glimpse and then moving down as they have to, as the topography dictates, as they close the distance, they will get down initially, crawl into a closer range now to where if they, if they pop their head up a little too much or something like that, they can be seen and they end up blowing things up. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's something that you don't often think about unless you've done it a lot, but you do, you want to stand completely upright if you have the topographic relief to do it so that you can get that initial glimpse and then just, you can't get any taller than that. You know what I mean? You can't accidentally pop your head up higher and, and blow the whole thing up. And, and you know, I'll, I'll introduce one other thing and I'm sure you're going to, you're going to smile you know when i say this i mean oftentimes when you're making a st i've stalked in the wild. if i have like some trees you know a little bit of brush mm -hmm. here and there and some trees yeah. um, or cactus or ocotillo or just something to, that's slightly breaks you up here and there like let's right. say i have an opening that's you know 20 yards that i have mm -hmm. to get through where i can get behind the next thing i'll still stand straight up mm -hmm. in plain sight mm -hmm. If they're bedded, now I try, they have 270 degrees field of vision. So mm -hmm. I try and get in that buffer zone, right? I try and get in that, in that small little zone right there, that 
that section that says, ah, I can't quite see, you know, you got, you got what, 90 some degrees to work with approximately 95 degrees or whatever. Try and be in that buffer zone. Right. And, and, and I pretty much live with my binoculars kind of like down, but mm-hmm. like at my cheek down. So I don't want those two eyeballs, those two black dots to be looking their direction like predator. Right. So I'll keep them sure. kind of like at my face and I'll keep the brim of my hat to where maybe only one eye is looking and, and I'm very careful. And then if I can tell I got an angle, then I'll lift my glass. I'll tilt my black glass right in front and I'll see, okay, eyes closed. Eye is closed. Mm-hmm. And then I'll make three or four or five steps. I'll be standing. Mm-hmm. I'm not crouched. I'm not doing anything. I'll put my glasses, uh, you know, down as I do that. And then I'll stop after like two or three steps and look up again. Oh, eyes are still closed. A couple more steps. Next thing you know, I'm behind the next piece of cover. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hiding really anymore. Right. It, right. It's more about when to move, how to move, when to stay still you know, how to stay still. Like if you're just staying still and you're staring right at it, like consider yourself alone. Yeah. It's going to pick up your eyes, period. It's going to pick up the whites in your eyes. It's going to see the eyes. Predators are the only animals that have them forward facing eyes like that. You know, everything else has the eyes on the side of its head. So as soon as it sees like those two eyes really close together like that, it's like, Oh frick, I'm out. And then, you know, it sees the two eyes standing on top of a bean pole, like a biped, like us. I mean, they're, they're gone. But the moment you like use your hat to kind of like hide your eyes under the brim and 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 stay still and you know maybe close one eye and then raise your head up just a little bit just to see underneath the brim like and and see if everything's calm like those type of movements consistently allow that curiosity to continue to stay triggered and allow them to you know not not want to get out of dodge. Interesting. Uh, to me, it sounds like. What's more important than anything else is just that innate understanding of when to be patient and when to be aggressive. And totally. Yeah, yeah. that's more important than anything else. Um, so uh, one question I haven't asked you out of these five stellar bucks that you took this year, which was your favorite and for what reason? And you kind of tell us how it went down. Um, I'm glad you asked um (laughs) because um contrary to popular belief had nothing to do with any of my biggest deer it had to do with the smallest deer Mm -hmm. and the tag that i waited the longest for um so i I have a little boy uh, his name's wyatt and wyatt's nine and wyatt's been hunting with me since he was four years old i have i have so many photos of him and us in the field hunting, fishing, you know, photography, travel, adventure, camping. Um, he's been like my best buddy since day one, since he could walk. And since before he could walk, he's always, you know, him and I yeah. have a really deep connection. And um, this year I, I told him I would take him on, you know, this one hunt because it was a special hunt because the tag took so long to draw and I want to be a part of it. And it was a late season deal. Um, but, you know, we went up a couple times to scout and then it was a rut hunt. So there wasn't really much I could do except for lay some groundwork, like um, make connections with landowners, get permission, kind of get, you know, familiar with the lay of the land. And then the, the bucks come out of the, the higher country <clears throat> um, to rut the does. So we got there uh, about not quite a week before the hunt, a few days before the hunt. and. We started scouting and I was actually extremely disappointed with, you know, the kind of quality that was there, the genetics and, and whatnot. And, and I knew it was a, a black tail, like there's a lot of black tail genetics there. So there was a lot of smaller, stouter bodied animals with that typical black tail of a tiny basket rack. But, you know, then there was these muley genetics that would come in from the desert side and you'd see, you know, like you would see the mule deer in these animals, but you weren't seeing any age class and mm-hmm. and i wasn't seeing the characters and so i was you know after a few days of looking i'm like and, and there was a fair amount of chasing going on it was cold a big amount, amount of snow had, had just fallen you know there was probably two feet of snow that just fell on top it should have pushed pushed some deer out um almost every doe had a buck on it 
casing. Mm-hmm. I was seeing a lot of, a lot of, I mean, tons of small three by threes, four keys, you know, that kind of a deal where you're like, eh, yeah, or 15 years, you know, right. Uh, and most people are just stoked to see a lot of deer. They want an opportunity hunt. They're, you know, they're, but for me, I, I wanted to, I didn't care about score, but I did care about like age class. I mean, 15 years, I wanted to hunt something that was older. And, uh, and I had secured thousands and thousands of acres of private property, a um, bunch of different landowners. And, you know, I took the time after I drew the tag, I spent literally months on the phone. Um, I mean, not months, but months yeah, a lot of consecutively, time. like just contacting these people and reaching out and securing permission and access. And so I spent the first week, like introducing myself, meeting everyone, getting familiar with the lay of the land. And I was going to turn the tag back in. Um, my son was with me. I had my videographer with me and uh, I was at the post office, um, filling out an affidavit and I had slipped it and the tag into an envelope and it was going to be postmarked the day before the hunt mm-hmm. and to I was turn like, it back in, turn it back in. And cause I, you know, I wanted my points back and I didn't, it just was not what I had envisioned. And and my little boy, he, you know, he just loves being outdoors. I can't yeah. tell you how much the kid arrives. I mean, he knows things about plants and about, you know, their growth cycle and wildflowers. And because I'm a photographer, I'm always out chasing blooms or going to these places and following conditions or going up to Alaska and chasing Aurora or, you know, just there's so many different things that we go do together. And this meant a lot to him and and I could see he was holding it back, but then he couldn't hold it back. And I start seeing tears come down his face and, and he was trying to be strong, you know, but I'm like, he, he was maybe looking forward to this hunt even more than dad was. Yeah, he was. And, and I'm like, well, what would you, what would you like to do, pal? And, and he looked at me with, you know, with these like sad, but you know, hopeful eyes, like, I just want to stay here, dad, you know? And I'm like, at that point it was the, the decision was made. It wasn't about, it wasn't about the quality of the deer. Like, dude, I could have hung my tag on a four corn at that point. It didn't matter. Like it was all about Wyatt. It was about making a yeah. my son that like, to be candid with you, you know, this life comes once and yeah. I didn't care what tag it was. I just want to be there with my boy. And so, yeah, uh, we kept the tag and his face lit up like to this day, <laughs> if you ask him, what was your favorite hunt or where did you enjoy going to the most? And he'd bring it up. He'd, he'd, yeah. like, it's so I, I know I made, you know, the right decision. And, and, and I think as I get older, well, I don't think I know as I get older it comes less about, um, comes less about the inches, becomes less about the score, becomes less about the buck, becomes more about the people who you surround yourself with. It becomes more about um, the camaraderie. I love helping my buddies pack a, a deer off the mountain, like as yeah. if it were my own. And I love brotherhood. I love uh, sharing this deep appreciation and a life purpose of right. this journey. And so, long story made short, um, you know, we, we secured access to this one property where it seemed like all the deer were concentrated. It was like right above some ag fields, but way out of the low country it was just rolling kind of scrub with uh uh sage and there was probably four or five dozen does in there and there was probably a dozen bucks and every day um you know you'd see like a different buck in there and uh, one day uh, uh, it was more of a blacktail it wasn't a, a mule deer for sure it was more on the blacktail side of things stout stubby body thick i mean on instagram you can see a photo i posted of him he's he's got a neck like a freaking giant bull cow he's just enormous thick and deep brisk like just a giant body when he was on the ground i wouldn't have doubted if that deer weighed 280 pounds like he was so really yeah he was big but he was was like short you know compact So, so he looked like a fat fat you know and he was um heavy and he just would put his ears back and put his head down and everything else would just kind of like you know go away yeah Uh, and i'm like okay he's the one and 
And Wyatt stood next to me at 60 yards as I put an arrow through that deer, came to full draw and, and shot him. And, um, you know, he was so excited. We walked up to that deer. We took a bunch of pictures and hung out and boned him out. Like, I mean, we took everything you could possibly take off of a deer. I mean, we were like carving. He had, you know, I've had him helping me build arrows and, you know, letting him learn what these weapons are from the age of about four. So you can yeah. give the kid a Havilon. And he's yeah. a kid that you'd give a Havilon and say, he's not going to cut himself. He understands direction, not to cut towards himself. To, you know, he understands sure. like awareness. And, and so we sat there and we carved up, um, you know, I mean, cutting out like each rib and tenderloins and like really getting into the, you know, underneath the bottom side of the hocks and like everything just really, we took our time. It was 28 degrees. Yeah. That morning, super cold. We would lay everything out and would get a nice glaze over it. And the meat was curing really nice. We just sat there. We took our time yeah, and uh, showed a profound amount of appreciation. And we went to the landowner's house and um, you just have to do these uh, affidavits to, you know, sign over things and whatnot. And um, so we went down to the, the butcher shop and we uh, validated the tag and, um, just this whole process with, you know, Wyatt right there. Like it was so connecting and profound for him. And he, and yeah. mind you, he's been on several hunts that were successful, like out in the desert with me. Like he's, he's, you know, been at my side for probably six, I think six kills now. Um, and just, you know, he knows how to sneak and whatnot, but this for, for him, for whatever reason, this one was really moving for him. And, and so there it was, it was very moving for me. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 I would easily um, give up any of the rest just for that one. Wow, that's that's awesome, and you're doing the right thing with him. Uh, you and I talked offline about a similar story that I had that with with my son that um, where I I honestly believe that it had a direct impact on on how interested he was going forward. You know what I mean? And uh, we talked about the journey that we're on and, you know, guys that are getting a little gray on their face like us and, and uh, starting to be this way back and, and getting on the end of that journey where the experience becomes so much more important than just the, the, the success. Um, and uh, you definitely did the right thing. And it's, I think it's awesome that that is your favorite deer out of this because that's the smallest deer. And some of these deer, you guys have to go to his Instagram page and look at some of these deer that he put on the ground here in the last year. Um, I wish we had video that went along with this podcast sometimes because Marlon was holding these animals, these racks up for us earlier. And it's just, it's awful impressive awful impressive so man we're getting up over an hour here and we'll probably uh cut it short and i think we lost evan williams again our technical difficulties are back um <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he's been froze froze frank for a while <laughs> like, for it, you guys can't see this but all of us can see each other as we're talking and evan is frozen with his fist against his face, like he's leaning on his elbow. And for about the first five minutes that he was frozen, I was looking at him like, Evan, at least act like you're interested in what Marlon's saying here. <laughs> he's not even a part of it. <laughs> anyway. I might just have to take a picture of this right now, actually. And I'm going to make a post on it later. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude. This is what um, everybody can look forward to later. Here is uh, Evan just kind of like chilling out. That's going to go on the story <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> well, everybody do go check out Instagram and check out both of Marlon's pages that I'm looking at. I, you're, we didn't even talk about your art and photography. Um, it, that's what I do. It's all my passion. Yeah, that, spectacular, that's man. 
spectacular. Um, I'm, I'm definitely envious. I consider myself a, a, a wannabe photographer and looking at your stuff, I just feel like a hack. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it helps that I started when I was about eight years old. So, oh man. And my mom is an American master uh, artist. She's, she's a world renowned oil painter. And so I grew up in a household where everybody were, you know, I, I did not grow up in a household full of artists or a hunter, sorry. I grew right. up in a, a household full of artists. So, um, you know, for me to come into the hunting world was, uh, was an interesting decision as nobody in my family hunted before. And, and this, uh, you know, the art was kind of something that took front and center for most of my life. And, and now it's a beautiful thing for me, Danny, because I get to spend, um, I, I, I arguably spend over, 290 days a year in the field, whether it's yeah. shooting photography, hiking mountains to take photos, and I get to learn new country. I'm always in the presence of animals. Like yeah. so that's the other thing is I have, I have a lot of time to be able to spend. Like right before the season, I'm going to spend three weeks in the high country photographing wildflowers. So Sweet. I'll be up there with a spotting scope and my camera shooting at you know sunrise and sunset beautiful locations up in the high country of wildflowers and so i i, I have a little bit of advantage <laughs> yeah yeah you know, no, that, that is uh definitely you did something right um you're you're gifted for sure you've got an eye um eye for both wildflowers and mule deer <laughs> yeah i get made fun of for the wildflowers sometimes but i know I dude it, it, it it's not just wildflowers. I mean, I'm looking at some of these photos and holy smokes, man, your landscapes, your water, um, it, it, man, it, it's, there's some, there's some magnificent shots in here. I just spectacularly, you'll have to check it out, but everybody, thanks for joining us. I'm Danny Ferris. Um, we appreciate you listening and Marlon will have you again one of these days i promise and i'm gonna do my very best to make sure that evan's equipment doesn't mess up again <laughs> and uh <laughs> and that we don't have to try it three different times before we get uh before we get a good take so uh we appreciate everybody listening and hope you enjoyed it.